This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome in everybody to Keiko Lazzo. I'm Ian Joy, joined by Nigel Rio Coker and Jonathan Johnson. Today, we're taking a deep dive into what we believe is the strongest teams in UEFA ahead of the World Cup. We're going to have a look at some of the odds going into the competition, and we're going to take a deeper dive into some of the big nations, including France. So, Keiko Lazzo begins right now. Welcome in, everybody. Enjoy alongside Nigel Rio Coker and my good friend Jonathan Johnson. First and foremost, before we go anywhere, Jonathan Johnson, we got to say a big congratulations to you. You just recently got engaged. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, really, uh, really delighted. Finally uh, shared the news on social media as well. It did did happen a couple of weeks ago, but uh, the cat's out of the bag now. So, yeah, absolutely uh, made up. Well, with me and Nigel around, you're not getting away with much on this show, that's for sure. But it's great <laughs> to see you as well, Nigel Rio Coker. How you been, man? I'm good. I know you don't want to say anything to me about that. But anyway, John, as you would like to take the lead, congratulations again. Could we just get that pronunciation out the way so Ian can be very happy about a certain player at Real Madrid? Which player, Since Nigel? You are the, the French expert. Which player? I'll let Jonathan say the name. He knows which one it is. <laughs> I think we're talking about Aurelien Chermini, guys. Chermini. Yes, Aurelien Chermini. Okay. <laughs> Way better than Ian. Aurelien Chermini. Okay. I got to say thank you to everybody out there who's been leaving comments and uh, obviously playing a role in our show because we appreciate all the comments. And even if it's critical of how we make pronunciations or maybe even our opinions, we want our guys to be completely natural. We want them to be themselves, including myself. And I think it's fair that everybody has their comment and their say. We want you to be a big part of the show, including this one as well, as we get deep into what we think is going to be the strongest teams competing at the World Cup from UEFA section. And we are starting, Jonathan Johnson, with France. I mean, where else would we start right now? The news, the headlines, your article on CBS Sports explains everything as to what's going on with Kylian Mbappe. Why is it when we get to a big tournament, especially a World Cup, there always seems to be some noise around the camp going into these big competitions. Explain to everybody out there who maybe have missed it what's going on with Mbappe and why you think this is happening. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's not going on with the French national team at this moment in time? I mean, there's so much uh, up in the air. So with regards to <clears throat> to Mbappe, we know, you know, uh, since his uh, contract negotiations with PSG uh, and the possibility to sign for Real Madrid as a free agent before he ultimately ended up staying in Paris. Uh, you know, image rights was a very important issue to, to Kylian Mbappe. You know, he sees himself as, you know, the, the modern footballer, a new trailblazer and basically doesn't want his name associated with anything that could sort of have negative connotations. So no uh, junk food, no betting, uh, you know, basically all the fun things uh, associated with football, I guess many would say. But in any case, Mbappe is very keen to sort of distance his name from that. So back in March, we already had, uh, you know, sort of a close run in between him and the French Football Federation over uh, some of the sponsors uh, of the national team. And then again, uh, at the beginning of this international break, you've got Mbappe once more refusing, uh, you know, to take part in any of the the scheduled, uh, you know, commercial uh, shoots uh, with the, the partners of the, the French national team ahead of the Qatar World Cup uh, and basically the French Football Federation this time have reacted and said okay we will draw up another charter uh, you know which uh, you know is basically more image conscious uh, towards players like Mbappe so that's sort of one of the many things that uh, is going on surrounding the French Football Federation at the moment second you've got some very very controversial allegations coming out about sexual misconduct 
uh, you know, pretty poor behavior at the very top uh, of the Federation. There have been reportedly cover-ups for the past four decades or so, uh, you know, of, uh, of of sexual misconduct within, uh, you know, the, the youth ranks. And it's, it's all pretty horrible reading. And then on top of that, you've got the Paul Pogba uh, controversy, which has now seen his older brother, Matthias, uh, you know, basically, um, you know, incarcerated, uh, sort of by by precaution, uh, while they try to establish some of the facts regarding this attempted blackmail uh, against uh, Paul Pogba, you've got a number of key players. Uh, you know, Deschamps trusted um, lieutenants on the pitch, out injured or out of form, uh, and also you know Deschamps knows that he's got Zinedine Zidane breathing down his neck, looking at this job, thinking, "Wow, I might you know have a have a crack at this job after the World Cup if things don't go well." So, a lot uh, you know, sort of in and around the, the French national team at this moment in time. But it's never a dull moment surrounding Le Bleu. Yeah, not a dull moment. moment. Go I, ahead. I thought, wow. Hey, I, I thought I thought England was bad, but that's just fantastic, isn't it, <laughs> to see how traumatic it is in, in France right now. Jesus Christ, where do you start? Where do you go after that? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, obviously, a lot of news and JJ are all over it. They are being based in France and you get to find out some dirty details maybe that's not being made public right now. Um, and it's an interesting reading. Obviously, your article on CBS Sports was terrific as well about the Mbappe situation. Thank you so much for that and the great work you do. Um, but I, I must admit, this is something that is not great for France, Nigel. I mean, let's touch upon the Mbappe situation right now before we go into anything else. Kylian Mbappe, his image rights, you can understand and respect him as a human being able to control his own situation, his own branding. Um, but does that, does that frustrate the other players? If you're in that group of players, if you're in a squad going to a World Cup, Kylian Mbappe doesn't want to be a part of pictures that everybody else has been made to take part on. You think this is a complete distraction in the group? It's funny that you say that, Ian, because for me, obviously, before John gave us the real scoop was in modern society, I'll say now the T in what was going on in France. Um, I was going to say, when you look at it, let's just football wise, just briefly, when you look at the squad, the experience, the talent that France has and the young talent coming through, they are phenomenal for the players and the ability they possess. You would say, hands down, they should win this World Cup really and truly just because I don't see a more talented team than France. Probably I'd say Brazil, you can throw in there now with the new Brazil that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. But I would always say, the problem that I would always say about France is this. There is always going to be some kind of drama or soap opera in the French national team where it's whether they can all get along for however long duration the World Cup goes on where they can be successful. If no one wants to have a diva moment, if no one wants to be head man in charge or star of the show, France should win if they can get together. That is the problem you're going to have with France. And I think that Mbappe situation is just going to be something clearly that's not going to sit well with other players. Yes, he is probably one of the world's best football players, one of the world's best paid football players. But when you come to represent your nation, there's some things that come with it. You have to put that aside. This isn't Paris Saint-Germain. This is France. Do it properly to respect and 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 represent your country that's what comes with it so there has to be somewhere along the line i think for me personally where the french fa have to say right we need to put a stop to this because if he's not willing to take that loss or to be you know to 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 re understand he's representing france mm -hmm. then drop him because then if he's not playing for the national team, yes, he's still Mbappe, but it's not still going to look good for his image if you can't be picked for the national team because they are not short on talent. That's a reality, but they have to put a fine line and stamp the authority that you're here to represent your national team. Whatever you do for Paris Saint-Germain, that's completely different. So um, it's, it's quite interesting for me. And I always felt that that would be the situation when it comes to France. It's always going to be about that diva-esque situation. You look at the whole thing with Pogba right now, and then Mbappe again, there's always something in the French dressing room that I feel can hold them back. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, uh, Nigel. And I think that's an interesting point. I think, JJ, we have seen the French Federation react very quickly to this situation and sort of given in a little bit to Mbappe's demands. And, and in many ways, I think rightfully so, because we're living in a different time now. It's not just a, a power 
play for these nationalities or associations, we're starting to see players being more powerful within their brand and their own marketing than they are for any club team, than they are for any national team. I respect Nigel's opinion completely, but as you see by the swift reaction from the French Football Federation, um, player power is something real right here. Well, I can tell you that the French Football Federation weren't as quick to respond to the allegations of sexual misconduct, but uh, I'll leave that by the by for for, for this episode. But uh, just before we sort of move on to to, to deal with that, uh, I've got a really interesting stat to throw at you guys. <clears throat> Seven of the current players in this France squad were not even professionals when France won the World Cup in 2018. Seven. I know there's been a lot of injuries, unavailability. But you've got guys like Adrien Truffert, Benoit Badiashir, William Saliba. Uh, you've got uh, Yusuf Fofana, uh, Randall Kolomouani, uh, Nigel's favorite, Chouameni, and uh, Eduardo Camavinga as well. Those guys had not kicked a ball professionally at senior level when France were crowned world champions just over four years ago. So, you know, that is, you know, that, that just goes to illustrate, you know, how much, you know, depth there is, how much talent there is coming through. And it's in pretty much every position across the pitch as well. Now, going back to the sort of issue of Mbappe, does Mbappe risk being dropped or are the French Football Federation right to, to prioritise him? We know that Kylian Mbappe is going to be the star man of the French national team for at least the next 10 years, if not more. So are they right to sort of build the squad and sort of the image of the national team around him? I mean, I think so to a, to a certain extent because you cannot overlook talent like that, uh, you know, especially when he performs, uh, you know, because if he can replicate the form that we've seen from him at club level over the past 18 months, you know, he has the ability to carry a team on his back at times. The the thing that I think now is the, the main question for Didier Deschamps and the French Football Federation is, you know, do you sort of persevere with what has been a winning formula in the past but is no longer a winning formula? We saw in Euro 2020, 20 Deschamps tried and tested method, uh, you know, of, of falling back on the guys that he's trusted in the past no longer works. I mean, some of those guys, uh, you know, are, are going on mid thirties. I mean, yeah. Loris is still a fine goalkeeper, obviously captain of the national team, but he's not getting any younger. Same goes for Giroud, uh, you know, and you've got Griezmann who really bent out of form. He's in his early thirties as well. Uh, you know, Rafa Varane as well looks a shadow of the player that he was back in 2018, uh, you know, despite moving to Manchester United for, you know, for greener pastures from Real Madrid. So it's, it, it is a really interesting moment for the French national team. Uh, we'll get onto it in a bit, I'm sure. I am not really that high on them uh, coming into this tournament as, as favorites. I understand why people have them painted that way, but mm -hmm. I think that there are major issues I think that Didier Deschamps has moved away from the formula that he was successful with. Uh, and I actually ultimately think this will be his last international tournament in charge. I think it's now right for Zinedine Zidane to come in, whether that's as part of a, a you know, a completely new wave uh, of a breath of fresh air, uh, you know, and that sees a lot of changes made at the federation level, as well as the national team. We'll have to wait and see. But to me, it feels like France are coming in, it, 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 it kind of feels like they're walking into a trap almost where they're going to be seen as favourites, but I think mm. that they will really struggle, especially with such a wildcard team like Denmark in that group who have run them close, uh, you know, in recent years. Yeah, well, they got a couple of games coming up, uh, obviously against Austria on Thursday, and then they face Denmark, who they do have in Group D at the World Cup. That one will be on the Sunday. And as you mentioned, they are the favourites from the UEFA section to win the World Cup at a plus 550, which is... Uh, Pretty healthy odds. It tells everyone out there that they are a clean favorite. Now, Nigel, before I get to you, we do have a comment from Will Kneisner. He says, why is it that there is a trend of winners of the World Cup losing early the next World Cup? Why do you believe that we have seen that before? And do you think this will happen to France, that they could be one of the surprise packages to maybe get out early on in the, the competition? Well, I mean, it's just everything that... Jonathan just said there without really going back into it, but I kind of look at a different angle. I think for me, I look at the talent that's there and I understand the old guard is getting older. The, the senior players have been there, done that. But at times I feel that the best clubs in the world, you have that balance. You have that experience. If that experience is surrounded by phenomenal youth, some of the best young players, mm -hmm. it's only going to be a winning formula. If you've got that right balance, you do everything because the experience is there to educate these younger, talented players how to see out a game, how to read the game in what's going on, in what stage we need to be in tournament football. 
And you talked about, well, you took all the pronunciations that I was going to make an attempt to, but <laughs> I'm sure Jonathan can pronounce the three inclusions of the young three talented players joining the French squad. Then I'll carry on. Uh, which ones are those? Is that uh, Benoit Badiachil? Benoit Badiachil, UC uh, Fofana. <laughs> Um, yeah, Yusuf Rafael. Hey, that, 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 that was it. That was good. Uh, NRC. I'm uh, I'm a big fan of that. I'll give you a Thank high you. eight and a half out of ten for sure. I was just gonna um, say, right? <laughs> you look at you look no, at right. this talent coming through, though, right? Uh, Benoit Badishili, 21 years old, Badishil, 21 year old, six foot four centre back, who the likes of Juventus and a few other clubs already have their eye on. Fantastic talent. I feel he has the same potential from what I've seen of him so far to be like Forfana at Chelsea. So you've got some of the most talented young players coming through there. You've got Yusuf Forfana, another talented midfielder who's very similar to um, Chul Orian Chuliani, Chuliani, Chuliamini, Chuliamini. Chuliamini. <laughs> anyway, so I, I think for me that they've got the right balance. And I think out of everything we've just said, my big concern with France, if they can get rid of all the soap opera that comes with France, all the selfishness at times with their superstars, all the egos, they should do it. That's the biggest thing with France. And with all this that's going on right now, you feel it's only a snowball and it's going to keep rolling and rolling to become a big impact in this French national team to see how well they do when it comes to the World Cup. That is the only thing that will let this France team down. JJ, you mentioned that, that you think they might struggle in the competition. If you look at the group that they're in, you'd have to say that they're very much a favourite to get out of the group there. They're in with Australia, Denmark, Tunisia. Um, obviously, it's a group that they are favourites to get out of. They're still one of the favourites to win the whole thing. You know, What do you foresee happening to France and when do you see them going out of the competition? I see them getting out of the group stage. I don't necessarily see them finishing ahead of Denmark. I mean, you look at the way that Denmark have performed in recent years, you know, arguably without, um, you know, the very unfortunate events with Christian Eriksen at Euro 2020, they probably would have blitzed the group that they were in as well. Uh, you know, but they still had a deep run in that tournament. I think that they will once again be very tough opponents. It wouldn't surprise me if they're unbeaten uh, against France. So really, it's a question of whether France can, you know, get past uh, the likes of a Tunisia and Australia without any drama. Australia, with all due respect to, to any Aussies tuning in, I think they're lucky to be at the World Cup. I don't think there should be that much of a, a challenge there. But then again, at World well, Cup, say how you, know, you feel, Jonathan. <laughs> say how you feel. I said it at the time and I'll say it again, but the thing, oh. the interesting wild card for France, given the Tunisian population within France, will be that Tunisia match. I, I can see that getting very, very testy. But like I said, I think they will get out of the group. It's once they get into the knockout stage when I think it will get interesting because I think there is a possible matchup with a team like an Argentina coming fairly soon, assuming that they do uh, you know, get out of the group. I don't think it'll be like 2002 when they bomb out in the group stage, although Denmark were one of their opponents uh, back then. Nigel, you wanted to say something there before we move on. Now I was going to make a little joke about France and, you know, obviously playing Tunisia. I wonder how many uh, Tunisian heritage players are in that France squad and stuff. So that would be quite funny. Um, yeah. No, I, 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 I honestly do think they're a very talented side. But we've said it before with football. We've seen it so many times. You can have all the talent on paper. And if you don't perform and produce when it matters, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about England. Uh, no, Nigel, you've been really uh, eager to have your say on England. <laughs> uh, I couldn't wait. I couldn't sleep last night with anticipation of what you've got to say about England at this World Cup. Every but single yeah, time, start? every single time we go to a World Cup, it's it's the same thing. There's this build up. There's this anticipation. The media builds it up. Um, but something feels different with Gareth Southgate. I'm really impressed with how he's managing the media, how he deals with the pressure of the situation. They are at plus 700 to win it from the UEFA section, second favorite to go and win the World Cup. Um, I guess the question would be more than anything, Nigel, do you think England realistically have a chance of winning the World Cup and competing against the best in the world right now to actually win it? Or do they need a hell of a lot of luck? They do when you look at players and ability and talent. But the problem with England is there is a lot of problems right now. And I think that this could be a big conversation we have. There's a lot of issues in England. One of the big issues, like you said, is the media. The media has always been one of the biggest problems for England. The way they overhype players at times, 
the way they make it seem like it's Armageddon when a result doesn't go well. I mean, for instance, you look at the Hungary result when England lost. It was like the end of the world after that. And I don't think that helps when it comes for the media because the players were tired. They had a long season. They were tired. That's just the reality of it. Players yeah. got tired. They didn't perform well. They know it. But you've got so many other situations in the left-back situations with some of these players now that they're not playing at their current club. The problems that we've got with England right now are a lot more difficult. And I think Gareth Southgate is putting himself in a very difficult situation with the media as well because some of his favourite writers are now turning against him from the past couple of results. And then now you look at this squad and there's some questions. The inclusion of Harry Maguire when he hasn't been playing at Manchester United. Ben Chinwell isn't been playing. Luke Shaw hasn't been playing. He gets uh, included in the squad. They love Calvin Phillips and then they've called up Jordan Henderson. So for me, I look at the players like Ben White at Arsenal, who's been fantastic, who deserves a call up. I look at Harvey Elliott at Liverpool, who's been one of the shining beacons of this Liverpool side, who I think should have just got a call up as well. And also you look at Ryan Session at Chelsea, who's been in great form. So there are some players out there who are playing, who deserve an opportunity, but you've got to look at it realistically. I don't know what John thinks of this as well, because the problem you have, Ian, is this is the last squad they can assemble together before the World Cup. England play on the opening day of the World Cup and they're not allowed to arrive till a couple of, what, is it a week before the World Cup starts, I believe, is the earliest, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. isn't going to give you a lot of training time on the training ground. So I feel that Gareth Southgate is stuck in between a rock and a hard place in the sense of he's going for the old guard, which I think, being cri critical of him, he's playing it safe, where he could really be a bit more adventurous and give some new faces an opportunity to shine. So the, I used to be a lot more confident with England's chances, but now when I see all of this going on, how are you going to fix this? Because another questionable thing, and I, I don't know if Jonathan agrees with me, we've heard about um, Connor Cody being included in the squad. And I've heard a lot recently about how much of a great leader he is and how good he is around the place and stuff like that. For me, if he's not going to play, why would you not bring him on as like a, a different category, as like a staff member or player that's not playing but part of the squad to keep that same energy and enthusiasm with the players and give an opportunity to someone else we forgot that Chris Smalling is playing at Roma and doing fantastically well and he's not even got a phone call if you want the experience at least Chris Smalling is playing Harry Maguire isn't playing so there's a lot going on with England that it does make you feel uncomfortable in what you're seeing and I think that He's playing it safe, but at the same time, he's slowly digging a hole for himself and for the, the media in England to come and attack him. Because you've got two tough games, you know, mm -hmm. likes of Germany and Italy. They're not going to be easy games. And if those results don't go well, I would not be surprised if the British press and the media want him gone before the World Cup. I'm no. telling you, if those, two, if those two results don't go well, I, I personally think that the British media will be calling for his head because they're already at that point. I don't know what Jonathan thinks. You've raised some really interesting points uh, for exactly what I think. Uh, if you'd been reading my tweets around about the time of Euro 2020, I was already calling for Southgate's head because if I'm being honest with you, uh, I know he's we, obviously we a form, to be honest. I, I, I know I know he's a former Villa player, and uh, you know there's a lot of sort of. Uh, yeah, there's a bit of bad blood left between him and the way that he departed Villa. It's nothing to do with that. I feel that Southgate is a bit of a nearly man in terms of international management. I think he's good to get to the latter stages of the tournament with England. I think the final of Euro 2020 was the best chance that he will ever have of leading England to international success. I'm sure you guys will bring this up in a couple of months' time when England have been crowned World Cup champions, and I was completely wrong. But I share Nigel's pessimism at this moment in time. Uh, I think a lot of the way that, that Southgate selects his squads has always baffled me, especially the Jack Grudish situation when he was playing out of his skin for Villa. Suddenly he's barely getting a game for Man City, yet he's still getting in the England squad. But everything he was doing before... Uh, at Villa Park, you know, wouldn't get him anywhere near the the group. So I I totally share, uh, you know, Nigel's scepticism. Uh, I I think the one thing I guess I would say that surprises me is it's taken that long for people to start not necessarily turning on Southgate, but questioning, you know, whether he is, you know, perhaps the right guy to to really lead, uh, you know, the generation of talent that England has, uh, you know, to fulfil their potential. Because I feel that if England do flop at this World Cup, and obviously. As an Englishman, I hope that I hope that we don't. Um, 
it will start to feel like this is beginning to be a bit of a wasted generation because there are some fantastically talented players there. It feels so agonizing to have gone so close the last two international tournaments and to have fallen so short, especially, uh, you know, in the Euro final on home soil. But, you know, Nigel is completely right. It is a really, really tricky group. Uh, and that's not really to, to blow smoke up some of our American followers. You know, it's almost a rivalry group when you've got America, you've got Wales and an Iran side who, when they played at international tournaments in recent years, have actually looked pretty tidy and tough opponents to go up against as well. So, you know, I think that this has the potential to get tricky very quickly for England. And, you know, like Nigel said, if the pressure is on even before the tournament starts, uh, you know, then it could really be, uh, you know, potentially, you know, sort of the the beginning of the end for Southgate if he can't uh, wow. you know, turn this around. I just like to add to that quickly that uh, our producer Des is Irish and he's absolutely loving this. Anyway, England's <laughs> demise on the pod. But um, John, no, I'm just going to say quickly, John. Do you not think that in certain situations that, and I'll probably ask Ian as well, as a manager, don't you think sometimes you've just got to play that gamble, take that gamble? And I feel right now this is the opportunity for Southgate to take the gamble, bring in some of these young players, play players who are playing on form instead of sticking to the safety of the old guard and stuff like that. Like for me, Jordan Henderson hasn't played in three games. You know, Ivan Troni is the only one in the squad who actually has earned a call-up through form. No one else has. And again, it's the thing of, yes, it's Harry Kane, he's England's talisman, but if he's not scoring and doing well, he shouldn't guarantee to be playing. I'm not saying he shouldn't be playing now, but that's been England's problems. And I think Jonathan's point is fantastic. Jack Grealish was on fire for Aston Villa. He was unbelievable. Couldn't get in the England squad. Now he's barely played many games for Man City. He hasn't been on top form at all. And he makes the England squad easy. And that goes to that whole thing of the England squad. Well, when I was playing back in the day, seemed to be like a gang where it was hard to get into. But once you got into it, it was harder to get out. Just because of being in the gang, you can just get called up and called back in. So I think Southgate doesn't help himself because there is a lot of criticism coming his way already within the press about the squad. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, jump, jumping just on one of the points that you brought up earlier that I forgot to cover in my previous answer about Connor Cody as well. It's very similar to the role that Adil Rami played in 2018 for, for France at the World Cup. You know, barely even got on the pitch, yet was there almost sort of like... I don't really want to say cheerleader because it's a bit disrespectful, but sort of to be there to keep players' morale up. And I, I you know, I agree with you. I think that it is a waste of a, of a squad space, especially when you have players who are in such uh, good form. I mean, you mentioning Smalling is is really is a great example because I've always felt like it's almost like any football outside of the the UK doesn't really exist as far as the England national team goes. It's why so few players ever tried their hand at playing abroad. Uh, and I think Chris Smalling deserves not only massive, you know, applause for for trying that, trying something new, adapting to a new culture. Same goes with Tammy Abraham, you know, but actually thriving. You know, he's playing some of the best football of his career. Okay, you know, coming towards the end of his career, but still, you know, I think he is definitely somebody who, you know, who should be in that squad and France are in a similar position, taking it right back to, to the first team we covered in that Pogba probably won't be able to play properly, physically, given uh, his injury at the moment. Yet he will be taken because he is such a key player to have in that dressing room, such a key figure, somebody who all the other players gravitate around. Uh, and I think that there is a very, very tricky scenario for a lot of coaches coming into this World Cup and these important decisions they have to make over these kind of guys who are very influential uh, in terms of their personality, but not necessarily bringing that much on the pitch because I feel, especially given the timing of this World Cup, you have to have the players who are in the best form physically uh, you know, and in terms of the way that they're performing, not necessarily just take somebody along to be essentially a, a glorified Beckham from what, 2010 when he was trotting around on the touchline in his Marks and Spencer suits. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And and I will say this, as an American-born person who grew up in Scotland, it, it fills my heart with joy to hear you both think that England will fail at this World Cup and potentially fail ahead of the World Cup as well. So quite impressive. I mean, simply outstanding to hear both of you just have this deep conversation about England, about their chances at the World Cup, about the criticism ahead of the World Cup and what England have to go through, what Gareth Southgate is going through and what your personal I, I saw you. I saw you sticking Southgate. the popcorn in the microwave, Ian. 
<laughs> I was loving every single minute of it. I can only imagine there's a lot out there who are watching along on Kegelazzo that they want to leave their comment. They probably are leaving their comment in anger at some of the things you're saying. But I can also guarantee you there are a ton of people out there who will agree with you with what you're saying and what's happening with England. Um, I just look forward to the group stages. Obviously, having the US go up against England is something pretty special to me personally. And I know you guys are looking forward to it as well. So that's England. That is our deep look into you way for the two favorites right there France at plus 550 England at plus 700 are the two favorites from UEFA to win the World Cup when we come back from a quick break we'll have a look at Spain Germany and Belgium and maybe a few more did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business less than 20% of them take the first step the reason building a business is tough Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey from launching and managing to grow in your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Oh, welcome back into Kegel Lads. So I have, of course, Jonathan Johnson and Nigel Rio Coker with me as we're having a deep look into UEFA section for World Cup and who are the favorites. We've already discussed France and what's going wrong. Nigel Rio Coker and Jonathan Johnson want Southgate fired ahead of the World Cup. Just kidding. But there is a lot to debate as we go into Spain. Uh, gentlemen, I'll start with you, JJ. Uh, Spain seem to be moving on from a lot of the old guard. There are some terrific young players coming through the ranks that just simply deserve an opportunity for Spain to be successful at a World Cup. They're not the favourites, by far not the favourites, but they still have a pretty good odds against them where people are just thinking, maybe there's a, Sp a chance that Spain could do some damage. What are your thoughts on Spain? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a very interesting candidate coming into this World Cup. I mean, uh, just one quick thought on what you said there about moving away from the old guard. I'll tell you what, if I was to take somebody who can still be functional and can still play a leadership role, Sergio Ramos still has something to give based on what I've seen from him this so far this season. He really, uh, you know, has taken me by surprise uh, and shown that he has something to give. And I wonder if Luis Enrique is perhaps going to leave it late, uh, you know, to potentially bring him into the fold uh, for the Spanish national team. Because you, like you said, you look at that and there's so much fantastic young talent in there. You know, you just look at that midfield with guys like Gavi, with Pedri there. Uh, uh, you know, you've got Fer, uh, Ferran Torres uh, up front. Uh, you've got Marco Asensio, who seems to be finding a second win for, for himself as well. Uh, you know, some really exciting, uh, you know, sort of wildcard picks as well. Borja Iglesias from my beloved Real Betis. Uh, you know, and then you look in that back line as well. There's some very exciting players, you know, the likes of Paul Torres, who we've seen excel on the Champions League stage with Villarreal. Uh, you know, and I think it's... It, they're, they're quite an understated team, this Spanish side, but very, very talented. And I think... In many ways, they're benefiting from the fact that their recent history is so illustrious that I think people assume that they can't perhaps live up to that. And because Luis Enrique is perhaps a bit more pragmatic than previous Spanish managers have needed to be because of the talent that they had, uh, you know, I think that they could go a fairly long way. My big question, uh, I think, and I think it's probably a big question for many people, is where the goals will come from consistently. Because we've seen Alvaro Morata really struggle to find the back of the net, particularly at international level, where and he's really needed to do uh, and other aside from him it's difficult to see you know who could potentially be I mean not necessarily a golden boot winner but you know somebody who can provide the amount of goals that they would need to make their way uh, you know at least on deep run in the tournament perhaps not all the way to the to the final but then again we've seen from France in the past you don't need a striker who scores a goal to win an international tournament. 
Bloody hell, John, you're going to let me in or what? You pretty much said everything that I was going to say, for God's sake. Jesus Christ, next time I think just you and Ian. I've, 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 le I've left you some pronunciations, though. I'm not doing no damn pronunciations <laughs> anyway. I was just going to say my biggest thing for Spain, I'll be sure, is like exactly what Jonathan said, covered everything perfectly well. Goals, that's your worry for Spain. Where are they going to get the goals from? Midfield is great, good experience around the back, abundance of talent. But Spain's biggest problem is finding that number nine that's going to put it into the back of the net. They're going to have the service, but they need to score. And as uh, John said again, you know, you look at Bojat Iglesias from uh, Real Betis, it's really his opportunity. This is his chance now to really take it. He looks like the man that could probably get the goals for Spain, and that's what's going to be needed. Yeah, a couple of upcoming fixtures for Spain to look forward to. They play Switzerland on Saturday before they play Portugal on Tuesday. And as you both mentioned, my question was going to be, and we'll move on from Spain in just a moment, um, is the goals. Where are the goals going to come from? If you look at the squad for these two games that are coming up, they only have Alvaro Morata and Ferran Torres, who are in double figures for goals being scored for the national team. So there's no doubt that there's a big concern when it comes to big competition. How is it going to be? It's going to be interesting in the group stage because they're in a very, very tough group, Spain, when it comes to the World Cup. Obviously, preparation is key for them. But if you look at Group B, they're in with Costa Rica, Germany, and Japan. I mean, that is a tough group. So they need to get off to a flying start. And I do have this concern, JJ, to your point. It's so important to have experienced players. If you go with just a group of kids, very easily you can get found out early in a competition like the World Cup because the world's best are there. And some of these nations are fighting for their lives to get out of the group because to them, for a nation like Costa Rica, that would be considered a success. For a nation like Japan, that would be considered a success. They, of course, want to get out of the group stage and go further, but out of the group stage would be a tremendous achievement for them. And, of course, Germany. We, we don't quite know exactly what's going to happen with Germany. As you look at Group E, Germany are in there. Uh, they are one of the favorites, obviously. They're at plus 1,000 to lift the World Cup. We'll move on to them. And, of course, Hansi Flick is... Um, I guess he's got... <laughs> So many talented players to choose from. He's brought some experienced players back after being banished from the national team, including a certain Thomas Muller, who I think should never have been put away from the squad. Um, it's interesting to see how they are going to come together ahead of a World Cup because they need some success, JJ. They can't go into a World Cup now and expect to automatically get success as you see how difficult their group is. Germany are going to have to fight for it. And it also looks like Marco Royce might be missing from the World Cup yet again, which is a big disappointment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll I'll let Nigel have the the first go on uh, on Germany's chances, uh, just so I don't take all his points. And <laughs> I'm not covered, <laughs> Jonathan. You're well more equipped than I am, my friend. Um, I just think that you know Germany is is this for me. I think Germany is one of the few nations where you'd say, especially coming from Europe, there's that expectancy. There's that expectancy to at least get to a semi final of the World Cup every World Cup. The talent that they produce in that nation is just absolutely phenomenal. The, the problem with Germany at times is it's what Germany turns up. It's not so much inside turmoil with arrogance of players or egos or anything like that. It's more so about application at times you get from Germany. Which one turns up? Is it going to be the Germany that's the well-oiled machine? Every player can play fantastic football, technical ability. And if it needs to go to the bit of the dirty arts, the Germans can do that well as well. And they can do the physical side of it. Germany can do every type of football you need. But again, I love the way Ian's laughing because he knows it's true. Germany are very capable of doing everything they need to do. But it's just which one will turn up, I think, for me with Germany. I think what helps Germany, you'd say, is there's not as much uh, media scrutiny or spotlight on them outside of Germany as there's a great expectancy, as we've already spoken about, for France and England and Spain to be more of the favourite. So let's not also forget Belgium's going to be thrown in there where a lot of people are not giving Germany that real opportunity. So maybe this could play in their favour of being mm. under the radar, getting the job done. But as we've just stated, that's a very tough group they've got. And they have to hit the ground running in all their games in that group. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look as well at the the squad and I think it's probably part of the reason why Germany are not necessarily talked about as hot favourites. I mean, it, it's it's an interesting situation they're in at the moment where you're moving on from Joachim Löw uh, and you've got Hansi Flick coming in, you know, trying to, to reinvigorate uh, this group with the help of a few, uh, you know, sort of old stages like Manuel Neuer, like Thomas Müller. But, you know, you've got so much fantastic young talent coming through now, guys like Muziala uh, at Bayern. And, you 
know, I feel like maybe this is an international tournament too soon for Germany, but I certainly think they'll lay the foundations in Qatar, you know, to potentially really challenge uh, in future Euros and, uh, and World Cups. Yeah, I'm with you. Listen, Germany, as we know, when they don't have success in a major tournament, what they do is they go back, they go back to the drawing board, they rebuild, they invest in youth again, and then all of a sudden they have 20 years of players who are just coming through the ranks. So for the next, what, three or four World Cups, you would imagine they will compete. I think you're right. I think they will find this one difficult to go deep in the tournament, but you can never, ever, to Nigel's point, ever rule Germany out because they will find a way to make it into the knockout stage. They will find a way, even if they're not playing well, to be dirty, to, to be successful. And Penalty that's what Germany are. I, that's fine with me. As long as, it's, as long as it's England that's getting knocked out of the competition, I'm fine with that. But I do agree that, you know, there's, a, there's this interesting situation right now where at some point Germany do have to move on from the Mats Hummels and the Thomas Mullers and the, even the Manuel Neuers. You've got to move on from these players at some point and then introduce these youngsters. So if they have gone through what, six years of difficulties it's only a matter of time before germany do get it right and i wouldn't want to bet against it nigel real quickly before we move on from germany seven bayern munich players were called up by hansi flick who i'm a big fan of seven bayern munich players bayern are not playing well right now they're drawing a lot of games they just recently lost their first game of the season at mid-table almost in the bundesliga right now is it healthy to to bring up seven bayern munich players to your squad or did they have no other option I think they've got real no other option anyway because they are they do have uh, the talent there at Bayern. I think what that tells you is like you want everyone to know there's a deeper problem at Bayern Munich. There is a problem it seems there that's more management manager style than it is player and application. So I think him doing that just sends a message that it's not the players. Maybe it's not the right man to lead Bayern Munich forward that he's uh, doing that by picking so many players. I think isn't Germany yeah. one of the teams who've probably got the most domestic players picked in their squad compared to uh, well, some England of the other England only England's recent squad that they just selected I think there was only 3 from that group that were non-domestic players um and then oh, if yeah, you look at Germany I think maximum maximum 4 or 5 there wasn't any more than that so there are a few and obviously if we move on to Belgium you see where their talent has been spread across Belgium are at plus 1200 in the competition to lift the World Cup. Um, they seem to be falling down from favourites to not-so-favourites to now pretty much a long shot at plus 1,200 in the UEFA ranks. Um, I guess we know where all the talent is, JJ, but where's the weakness in this Belgium side? And why do you think that they can't get it right when it comes to major competition? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, first of all, I think uh, the weakness for Belgium is what it has always been. Uh, and that has been a solid defence that, that keeps the goals out. However, in previous years, they've been able to rely on the brilliance of Eden Hazard, uh, Kevin De Bruyne. And obviously, it's now really just KDB, um, you know, on his own balling out. Eden Hazard, I mean, I think the goal against Celtic was the first time I've seen him score for nearly two years or something crazy like that. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, it feels like that golden opportunity that Belgium had kind of died when France beat them uh, in the in the 2018 World Cup en route uh, to, to ultimate victory. And there is still a fantastic amount of talent in that squad, don't get me wrong. I just thought looking at them at Euro 2020, I felt like many of their best days, certainly for for a number of those key players, uh, you know, had come past. It feels crazy to be saying that as well, because, you know, you look at as a, uh, you know, and the fact that he's been out of the game at the top level pretty much for the best part of the last two years, but he's still only 31. You know, if he was to have a second wind, uh, you know, he could quite easily go on and enjoy some sort of success with Belgium because I feel that he's just so key, uh, you know, to, to to their chances of success. But I've always felt that when you look at that defence, uh, I mean, it's, you know, the the better players are really getting on now, the likes of Alderweireld, Vertonghen, uh, you know, and when you're sort of relying on players like Thomas Meunier, uh, you know, uh, Jason Denier for consistency. They're not exactly, uh, you know, the, the most consistent players that would come to me off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll have to be honest with you. I personally think in that golden generation, that opportunity for them to win a major tournament, it's gone. It's completely gone. Uh, Ian made a point. Defensively, they've always been very questionable. And I think um, one of their big losses for me is Vincent Campany. I think Campany is one of the great leaders of the game of football and especially playing that centre-back role. 
they haven't been able to ever really replace him and his leadership quality. You can talk about the spine him and you've got De Boina and Hazard. That's a fantastic spine. And not to remember, not to forget also, they also had Lukaku. So they truly had the players there and it just never happened. It kind of seemed to me sometimes when they'll get to the game that really mattered, the occasion got bigger than they expected and maybe the burden became too much because everyone in world football was saying that this is Belgium's chance, Belgium's, Belgium's golden generation, and they couldn't take that final step. I don't know whether Jonathan would say this as well, but would you say again in criticism of managers, would you say that maybe Martinez is the same as you would say as Gareth Southgate? Maybe he gets them out of the group stages, but just he's the nearly man that just can't take them across that finishing line. But I just think that, for me, that their opportunity has truly gone when it comes to that. I think right now you're looking at it being a Kevin De Bruyne team. It's a Kevin De Bruyne team, and you have to build that team around him the best you can with good enough players to try and make his job as easy as possible to see how far Belgium can go. But I just don't feel they're going to have a great chance. I think they probably get out of their group, but that's about as good as it's going to be for Belgium. Hey, JJ, before you jump back in here, if you look at the group, Group F, it's a difficult one for Belgium. I mean, Canada, obviously, making their place at the World Cup for the first time. It's great to see for, for them getting in there. Morocco are a difficult team because there are so many international-based players for them. And Croatia, there's, there's pretty much a debate that Croatia could be the best team in that group. Would you agree? I don't disagree with it. I think Croatia, in terms of individual talent, uh, you know, are still fairly stacked. I mean, when you've got somebody like Luka Modric as evergreen as he is as well, that's always going to play into your favour. Uh, I do think that there will come a time in the very near future where Croatia have to stop sort of relying, uh, you know, on his brilliance. But I don't think that, uh, you know, that will be sort of before the end of this year. So I do still expect him to be key to, you know, their approach uh, coming into this World Cup. I mean, I think that... It's it's interesting because you've got, you know, all of these teams basically have like one or two, you know, real star players because during our Belgium chat, we didn't even mention Courtois, arguably the best goalkeeper or the most informed goalkeeper in Europe at this moment in time. He could be worth, uh, you know, the, the points that get them out of that group, uh, you know, but also at the same time, you've got Croatia with the likes of a Modric, you know, who can, you know, turn the match, uh, you know, just with a with a flick of his foot. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, this, this to me seems like a really, you know, quite evenly balanced group because you look at the talent that Morocco have individually as well. I mean, okay, there's always been questions about their collective mentality, but individually, they have some fine, fine players in that group as well. In Canada, if you're looking for wild cards for this World Cup to at least get out of the group stage and maybe make a deep run, you know, when you've got somebody like Jonathan David in the form that he's in for Lille at the moment, it's difficult to look much further than them because they are going to be one of these feel-good stories, I feel, of the of the World Cup, especially, you know, with guys like Alfonso Davies as well. Uh, you yeah. know, so it's going to be very, very interesting to, to, to watch. I think the one thing that I would say about this group is I don't think that Belgium and Croatia will both get out of it. Ooh. That's a great point. And I think that's 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 going to be the battle because there's a lot of groups in there that, that potentially could be the group of death. I think we're going to see a big surprise for one of these big nations. And another one that I think we'll see a big surprise on, Nigel, is Portugal, who are at plus 1,200 themselves. And um, Cristiano Ronaldo about to pick up his 190th cap, if I'm not mistaken. They got a couple of games against Czech Republic and Spain next Tuesday. Um, but they're in a tough group in Group H. They've got Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea uh, not an easy group for Portugal. Um, am I right in saying that potentially this could be the biggest surprise where we see a Portugal go out at the group stage? I think they've got a tough group, but let's be real that most of the Portugal national team basically are playing at Wolves anyway in the Premier League. So they're all playing together. <laughs> they're, getting <a> lot more, <laughs> they're getting a lot more camaraderie building and team bonding. They're all at Wolves. So, you know, they've got some... I, I, honestly, it's a tough group. Yes, the Ghana... You put, well, it is the whole, the whole group is tough. It's hard to say, but I think with the talent and the balance of Portugal, they have to understand they can't be a reliance on Ronaldo. If they use Ronaldo the right way and not let him go there, still thinking he is the talisman and the main man for Portugal at this level of competition, they've got a chance. It's all about management, team selection for Portugal for them to be able to get out of that group. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Nigel. 
honestly, as much as it pains me, I, I agree with Nigel. It's, I mean, you you cannot, in his situation at the moment, <clears throat> consider Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, you know, the, the absolute talisman of this team, especially when you've got somebody, uh, you know, like a Bernardo Silva in the group at the moment. You've got some fantastic attacking talent coming through as well. Uh, you know, Gonzalo Ramos of Benfica looks really exciting. Uh, you know, it's and Rafael Leal as well uh, with, with Milan. So, you know, it almost feels like... <clears throat> You know, if there's a scenario where Portugal either diminish Ronaldo's role or, I don't know, you know, something happens, which basically means that Ronaldo is at the World Cup but can't play a huge role on the pitch, I think it actually plays into into Portugal's hands. Because we were talking earlier about having players with leadership ability important in the dressing room who can still do something on the pitch. You've got that in Pepe in the defence. But Mm -hmm. with Ronaldo... I mean, it's very, very difficult to tell what kind of level he's going to be at for the international team, given the way the season has started, uh, you know, with Manchester United. I actually have a feeling that this international break could be a pretty rude awakening for Ronaldo and Portugal. And I'd be interested to know uh, sort of any tactical or, you know, personnel decisions that get made off the back of this uh, this international break. Because to be honest, we talk about managers who have been under pressure a bit. Uh, Nigel asked me about Roberto Martinez earlier. Fernando Santos is another one sort of dining out still on the success of 2016. Uh, Mm. And I think it illustrates the bigger point that too few elite managers really want to get into international football at this moment in time, that somebody like Santos is still in charge of a team like Portugal, despite the fact that it feels like they've been running in the lowest gear for about four years or so now. You're watching Keiko Lazzo as the Enjoy with Jonathan Johnson and Nigel Rio Coker with you. We're breaking down the favorite nations from UEFA section in World Cup 2022 in Qatar. Speaking of Qatar, they have a tough group, of course. They're in with Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands, who are at plus 1,400 to have success at the World Cup and potentially lift it this year. Um, I guess the question would be, is this a Netherlands side, JJ? We're going to be quick through the Netherlands. Is this a Netherlands side that nobody's expecting to do any damage? But if you look at the talent that's in their roster, they've got an easy group and potentially could find success with this talented group of players and, and certainly one of the most experienced coaches of all time. I mean, I think back to Euro 2020 and how good the Dutch looked in the group stage. I think under Louis van Gaal and, you know, it, it will be his final international tournament. I think there could really be, you know, quite a special swan song. Uh, I think there's the, the Dutch always have some very, very talented players in their squad. But I don't know, it just feels to me that something has been cooking this kind of rebirth uh, over the last couple of years where they've shown signs of their potential. And I think given the circumstances surrounding Van Gaal's return, I think that they may well go on a deep run in this tournament. I mean, I, it's not because I'm looking at them thinking they have, you know, some fantastic individual talents who jump out. You know, obviously they do have some very good players, but I, I wouldn't say that they have any real sort of star names that, you know, immediately jump off the off the page to you. But, you know, if they can kind of, I mean, similar to Germany, uh, you know, and how they call upon that spine of that team from uh, from Bayern Munich. If they can do the same with some of their Ajax players, then, you know, I think that this Dutch side could be quite formidable. I think for me, Jonathan, the only thing I would say is just to add to what you said there is for me, it's the most amount of talent they've had collectively together for a while. Because for a while, I would have to say that the Dutch, yes, they do total football talent was coming in Spurs. It wasn't a collective group. But when you look at these players now in the Dutch national squad, it's the most talent they've had together for a while. And I think that, like you said, I expect them to go far. And I think they're going to like the fact that no one's talking about them. And it's something that they can make very special. And it also helps that there's no reliance, no real superstars, Jonathan says, standing out where all the responsibility or all the weight of the, the Netherlands is going to be on this one specific player. That helps them play more in that team dynamic of total football, pass and move, everyone involved, everyone's playing a part, and there's no responsibility great on anyone else's shoulder than all together collectively as a team. But I think it's it's a great bunch of talent that they've got there, and they could be some serious dark horses, I would say, the Netherlands. We're about to wrap up another cake of lots or show as you enjoy with Jonathan Johnson and Nigel Rio Coker with you. We are discussing UEFA and potential favorites to win the World Cup. And uh, we have a great comment from Ivan Urebe in the chat. Surely Belgium will get out of their group along with Croatia, but past the round of 16 question mark. 
he highly doubts it. And I think we have all pretty much agreed with you right there. Let's move on to our final team that we want to discuss before we get out of here. And that will be Denmark, who are sitting at plus 2,800. Uh, not an easy group, JJ. I'm going to come to you first because they're in with France. I mean, what are you expecting from this Denmark team? I mean, I think they're talented. They do have a great mix of youth and experience. They are tremendously well coached. They're a team that is clearly an underdog. Nobody's expecting them to go far in the knockout stages whatsoever. But that must be a nation you've got to be worried about, especially when you're starting to get one of your star players back healthy again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've seen in the last couple of years that Denmark have really emerged as a very difficult, uh, you know, nation to come up against. Uh, you know, and like you said, you know, they've got that perfect blend of youth and experience. I mean, especially if you, they get somebody like Simon Kjær back, uh, you know, fit uh, and healthy for this tournament because his leadership is so important to them. Uh, and they also, they're one of the national teams that kind of feels like it's on like the crest of a real wave of positivity at the moment after Euro 2020. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of momentum which they've maintained uh, over the Nations League and also through the rest of World Cup qualifying that's really important uh, I think that they will run France hard for a top spot in the group um, I expect that they will both go through but I think that Denmark could enjoy a deep run similar to the one that we saw from them at Euro 2020 I know that some people are saying you know dark horses potentially go and win it all I think we'll have to wait and see but when you have uh, you know, a star player like a Christian Eriksen, somebody who is so creative and can, you know, produce the moments of brilliance that win, you know, important matches at that stage. You know, you can't write them off either. Yeah, I think that for me, uh, just to add on to the Christian Eriksen thing, he's absolutely flying at Manchester United. He really has gone and, and been the, the talisman at Manchester United and we're really seeing the talent that he possessed. The Christian Eriksen of old, it was a, a Tottenham before obviously departed to go to Inter Milan, we're seeing that again, and he is a big factor. Denmark, for me, one of those teams right now where it's a team that no one's talking about, but people know you've got to respect them because when you come up against them, you know it's going to be tough in every single department and they're never going to give up. They're going to have that real great team spirit, that togetherness, they're going to work for one another and it's not going to be an easy game. So I think that every team that faces them really needs to show the respect and know, and I'm sure everyone does, knowing when they come up against this Denmark side, it's going to be a very, very tough game. I think how far they go, for me, my question is, you don't want a heavy, too, how much, how, sorry, you don't want to have too much of a heavy reliance on Christian Eriksen. That's the only thing I worry about Denmark because you do need a bit more talent. You know, the World Cup, it's very difficult to win the World Cup with just one man or one player. You know, not from the days of Argentina and Maradona, yes, but, the game has moved on now tremendously where you do need a lot of talent. I mean, you talk about World Cup, you look at the, the, the talented squads that Argentina have had in the past two or three World Cups with arguably one of the greats of the game, Lionel Messi, and they still couldn't get it done. So um, definitely a difficult team. Got a good chance of going far in the tournament, but just too much of a heavy reliance on Christian Eriksen, I feel. One of my former gaffers was Jan Moby, obviously a terrific Danish midfielder and tremendous success with his national team. Also, probably the most uh, scout-speaking Danish person you will ever hear in your lifetime. Hell of a footballer, hell of a coach, hell of a human being. And he'd be mad at me if I didn't mention the fact that Denmark are a good side. And, and I mentioned the, the experience and I mentioned the youth um, because it's a tremendous mix. If you look at what they've got in midfield Denmark and what they've got up front, there's a lot of youth in there, which excites me. And I think a lot of one of the reasons why they're one of the dark horses or, or, or such high odds in this uh, group to really win it, it would be because nobody knows too much about some of the younger players that are coming through in Scandinavia, in particular what's happening at Denmark. But you only have to look at what they have in their squad, what they have in their roster, where these players are playing. I mean, you've got, obviously, domestically, there's only a couple, but you've got the Premier League, you've got Serie A, you've got the Bundesliga, you've got La Liga. They're playing everywhere. Their players are playing absolutely everywhere. So whether they're young or whether they're experienced, they have experience of high-level competition, and I absolutely believe that they do get out of the group. I don't think they'll get knocked out in the group stages whatsoever. I think you're right, JJ. They will cause some problems to France as well. And I think they could be a surprise package because nobody's tipping them to go far in the knockout stages. Gentlemen, it's been another great show. We've been breaking down the UEFA teams and, and where we think they'll have success, but also what the bookies think. Uh, thank you again. 
Jonathan Johnson, for what you said on France for breaking news here as well and, and really letting us know the deep, dark secrets of the French Football Association. Uh, Nigel Rio Coker, terrific as always. Uh, I know you want Gareth Southgate fired. We love you as always. Hey, Aiden, this is how clickbait happens. Stop saying that. We never said that. We said that he's under pressure. <laughs> uh, just before you just even finish off anyway, you've seen the news, Ian. The director of football that Chelsea wanted has turned around and made a statement saying, yeah, thanks, but no thanks, mate. Yes, I did see the news. So congratulations on telling that uh, Chelsea might have some problems with Todd Bowley. And we'll actually be having a great discussion on what happened with Christoph Freund with Fabrizio Romano tomorrow on Kegolazzo. So make sure you tune into that one. This has been awesome, guys. JJ, thank you so much. Congratulations on your engagement once again. Nigel Rio Coker, as always, you're the best. Love you, mate. All right. Thanks so much to everybody else out there who's been listening along with us to Kegolazzo. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and anywhere you listen to your podcast. We're also available, unfortunately for Nigel, on video. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. There are some big things coming, but thanks so much for tuning in today. We'll see you next time for Pizza Romano coming up tomorrow.